Hello everybody, Craig here. Just to let you know, this episode wasn't edited very well, so there's going to be a lot of gaps, a lot of ums, a lot of ahs. I know I say right too much, so I apologise for that, but I decided to, well, sacrifice quality in the name of speed, because as you're going to hear, this is a pre-release primer, and saying I'm recording only three days before the pre-release, I really need to get this show out very quickly, so... I apologise, the show quality will be lower than that of normal. Please bear with us and, uh, yeah, apologies again. Hello and welcome to Delving the Draft. My name is Craig and I am one of your hosts. Joining me this week is... That guy! That's Steve! This is episode 13, and a lucky number for some, but not for us. Anyways, roundup of how to contact us. You can get in touch with us at dalvingtodraft.tumblr.com or on Facebook at facebook.com slash dalvingtodraft. Our email address is dalvingtodraft at gmail.com. And finally, I'm on Twitter as ravak underscore, R-A-V-A-K underscore. Jumping straight into the news, there were two Grand Prix last weekend, one in Sydney, and then 12 hours later there's one in Bilbao in Spain, in case you didn't know where that was. Sydney was returned to Ravnica, sealed and booster draft, and despite the fact there were two big European names there in Stanislav Sivka, who won the last Pro Tour, and Martin Nichusa, it was actually Alan Zhang who took it down, so congratulations to him. Congratulations, Alan Zhang! On to Bilbao, that was a modern format, and Mitchell Manders won that one. Yay! Does he not get a congratulations? <laughs> oh, well. Well, you know, yeah, okay then. Do you not congratulations, like, Mitchell Manders. Do you not like just, Mitchell as much as Alan? I, well, no, it's not that. It's just, you know, if you've got to show support somewhere, you don't want to look like you're just spreading the love willy-nilly. I don't want, I don't want to take anything away from Alan, you know? That's fair enough, that's fair enough. I, I see what you mean. If we, if we just litter praise everywhere, then it won't really mean much. Yeah. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, so, so, sorry, Mitchell, but... Um, the other big news is pre-release weekend this weekend. Woo! And by this weekend, I would specifically mean the six, uh, 26th and 27th of January, not the 16th of January. That uh, be last Wednesday. So yeah, pre-release. You going? Are you excited, Craig? Um, yeah, I'm going. I I'm not sure if I'm excited because I kind of I've been a little bit silly. How? How? Well, I mean, last pre-release, Return to Ravnica, I was like, what guild am I going to play? I'm going to play Izzet, because that's who I am. Yeah. This time, I went with Simic, which is really not who I am, and the only reason I went for Simic is because I really like the pre-release card. Like, yeah, I, the artwork on it, specifically. I, I've not, like, um, pre-registered or anything yet, so I'm just going to... Ha- I'll just be playing whatever's left. I know the answer <laughs> to what is left. That's fine. Tell, tell me, Craig, tell me. Uh, you have the choice between Demir and Gruel. Happy with that. I'll just go, go whichever one I feel like. I don't know. Mm. I'm not going to make that decision now, Craig. I'm not going to make that decision now. Um, I but- am judging Sunday. So I get to play Saturday with my stomach. And on Sunday, depending on the turnout, I may judge and play, in which case I'll also be grabbing whatever's left. Yeah. But if it, I if I really had a choice, I should have just went with Orzov, because that is probably the guild I like the most. Then Demir. So I guess seeing Demir still available, I'm not too bad, but I feel Orzovian. And, and here I went completely away from blue and red. Orzov is just where I feel at home. Yeah. I mean, I think if it came to the choice, I'd be wanting to play 
either Boros or Gru, just because they're really kind of aggressive guilds. Yeah, that's the word I was looking for there, Craig. <laughs> I, I, a, you could just stop with they're really aggressive in all honesty. Yeah, yeah. yeah <laughs> right uh, yeah. now, saying we're talking about the pre-release, I have a question for you. Oh, okay. Is Do this you, an official pop quiz question? This is an official pop quiz question. Okay, cool. Do you, can you name the five pre-release promo cards? Ooh, right. Uh, I think I can. So the Orsov one is a big 4-4 throw, treasury throw. That, right? Yep, it's treasury throw. Yeah, he's a 4-4 four, four, for 6. The Demir one is like a big insect thing, a cons- consuming aberration? Is that what yeah, it is? consuming aberration. Not an insect, it's actually a horror. But It's a horror. Hmm. It looks insect-y, but apparently it's a horror. So. Yep. And then Gru's got Rubble Hulk. Yep. The Simic have Fathom Mage. Yes, with the pretty artwork that I like. And Boros has the one that I like, the Foundry Champion. Yay, you got all five. <laughs> Congratulations. You expecting me to get all five there, Craig. I wasn't sure. I just I just thought I'd ask the question and see yeah. how you did. I, I knew we were going to be talking about uh, the pre-release today, so I thought I'd better at least have a, have a passing glance at what we were going to be doing. <laughs> Yes, um, let's in fact jump into the topic which we're talking about primarily today. Pre-release primer, if we figured saying the pre-release is oh so soon, we should probably cover, um, well, a bit about each of the guilds, a bit about how the pre-release is going to be run, and uh, yeah, whatever else comes up. Yeah, seems Seems, fair. Yep, seems good to you, cool. Um, Let's begin... Okay, here's another quiz. This is not a pop quiz this time. Can you name the five guilds? Oh, great. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I already did in my last in the last question, but we shall go Orsov, Demir, Gruel, Boros, and Simic. Indeed, right. Let's go into the guild mechanics of each of those guilds. Let's start with Orsov, who have the extort mechanic. Now, extort is very simple. It even says on each of the cards we extort. Whenever you cast a spell, you may pay a white or a black mana. If you do, each opponent loses one life, and you gain life equal to the total life lost this way. Now, assuming you're playing a normal 1v1 pre-release tournament, that means when you cast a spell, if you've got one spare, white or black mana, then you can pay that, and then they lose a life, you gain a life. Yeah. I mean, it's a great way just to uh, make the most out of any mana you have available. Because basically any any mana you've got sitting for you on the board will probably be either black or white. So there's no excuse at the end of a turn for having not tapped all your land. (laughs) Important thing to say about extort. It's a bit like Exalted. It triggers like once for each extort you have. It's not a case of if I cast a spell, I can pay any number of white or black mana to get any number of triggers. You need to oh. have each exhort card there. So if you've got two exhort cards, then you can only pay a maximum of two mana to drain two life. You can't just say, oh, I've got one exhort source, and so I'll just throw five mana into it and gain five life, and waha, you're dead in a couple of turns. <laughs> That'd be a really good ability. That'd be really good. It doesn't <laughs> work like that, so don't think it does. Yeah. Uh... You'll get called out on that. I mean, it's still a great way to use up your mana because you're you're going to hope to have two or three extort creatures in play. Yeah. So you know, 
that means anything that costs like three or less, you're probably tapping out it most through most of the game. Yeah. You know? Yep. Definitely. And oh actually, in case you play in a two headed giant pre release tournament, which is not something we do, but it is something which happens, it does say for each opponent, which means you're going to be draining, if I'm not mistaken, two life and gaining two life. Yay. Um, so just be aware of that. But I would just double check with your judge, just in case I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure I'm right. This is going to impact on our multiplayer draft nights, Craig. It is massively going to... Imp- <laughs> it's going to be important for the multiplayer drafts and the multiplayer mini master. Yeah. You're going to want extort cards for mini master. <laughs> but we're kind of moving off topic. Let's yeah. move along the color wheel in towards Dimir. Now, they have the wordiest um, mechanic, Cypher. So, Cypher... Uh, <laughs> where to start? Okay. Cypher can appear on instants and sorceries. And it represents two abilities... One while it's on the stack, and whilst one while it's in the exile zone. The, the, this is this is just a horrid thing to read out. I'll try to explain it in the simplest terms. When you cast a cipher card, it's going to have some other text. So, for example, Last Thoughts says, "Draw a card, cipher." So, what you do, you cast Last Thoughts. When it resolves, you draw a card, and then you exile it and encode it onto a creature, which is a bit like. Enchanting a creature basically becomes an aura on another creature. Then, when you do combat damage to an opponent, and this is specifically a player, not any other creatures, it has to be combat damage to a player, then you get to recast the card. So, yeah. um, I cast Last Thoughts, I draw a card, and then I can attach it to a creature, and then the creature does combat damage, I get to draw a card. And, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think with these, it's really easy to compare it with enchantments. And uh, a lot of people don't like enchantments because they represent a chance to get two for one. You know, like, so I kill your guy, you lose both your guy and your enchantment spell. But at least with extort, you're getting the initial ability from the spell and there's usually an overcut you can you're usually paying through the nose for that ability it might be something along the lines of target player loses three lives or target player discards a card and you'll be paying in the you know over the odds for that but with the payoff of potentially doing it over and over again yeah you're right actually i should have just described it as basically an aura because that is, it's effectively what it's going to look like on the battlefield. Just remember, if your creature does get killed, don't put the cipher card in your graveyard. It is exiled. It's exiled oh. even as it's attached to the creature effectively, or as they use the term, encoded to a creature. Yeah. So just remember, the the cipher cards are in exile. Yeah. Don't put them into the graveyard when your creature dies. Try to remember that. I was watching a video on YouTube, and I can't remember who it was. I've been, I watched quite a lot of videos, Craig, and I always forget who who it is that says these things. But the the guy I was watching was making the comment along the lines of, "Why why is this ability not called encode?" <laughs> and then when it gets placed on your creature, it becomes encoded on the creature, like in the, in the same vein as uh, imprint. So the the ability is called imprint. And it becomes imprinted on the creature. It's like th- these funny terminologies where you go from, 
See, I've forgotten the name of the thing. Cipher. You cipher and then you encode it on the creature rather than you, you know, it's an it's a, it's a unnatural flow of words. Yeah, it's, it's a bit like so, how soul bond paired a creature. Yeah. Like you, it you should have sh- bound them, shouldn't it? Yeah, it should have either, it should have soul bonded or bonded a creature. But, yeah. I mean, admittedly, I think there's more room for pairing creatures down the line. Like they could do more things with pairing creatures. Yeah. Um, but with Cypher, I do feel it should have either been Cypher cards get ciphered or encode cards get encoded. I don't know why they've used this terminology, but yeah, it's, it's adding a little bit of unnecessary confusion. But if you just think of them as auras, then it's yeah. a lot easier. Cypher is a cool word, though. Cypher. It is. It is. <laughs> and it does feel very demure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, right. Let's move on. Gruel have uh ability keyword, I think is what we called it. An ability word, was it? Because Blood Rush in and of itself doesn't actually mean anything. Yeah. But in general, it's going to be templated in mana cost, discard this creature. I mean, the creature's going to be in your hand at the time. And then target attacking creature gets something. And that is hella vague, but that is basically the template. Yeah. It's usually a, a, a bonus to attack and uh, toughness, like yeah. power and toughness. Yeah, as far as I know, it, as I say, Blood Rush is always going to be in a creature card, and what you do, instead of playing the creature, you're discarding it from your hand, and then whatever attacking creature you're targeting gets the card you discarded's power and toughness and abilities. Yeah. So, like, if it's got Trample, or if it's got double strike or something like that, then yeah. Um, I'm sorry to be vague, but unfortunately, as I say, it's an ability word, so it doesn't have any specific rules meaning. However, note that this is an ability, and it is not a spell when you blood rush. So yeah. don't counter blood rush because you can't. <laughs> uh, all you're doing is flashing your opponent a card saying, oh, I can counter something of yours, but you're not countering the blood rush. So, yeah. And Similarly, it won't trigger any sort of uh, extort triggers if you're for some reason playing across three colours. Well, you've got white in here for some reason. Yeah, or black. Then yeah, it, yeah, because it's an ability, it doesn't extort. So just be aware of that. I, I don't know how often that's going to show up, but I suppose it could. Mm. Um, talking about ability words, Boros's battalion is also an ability word. So saying battalion doesn't actually mean anything. However, it's templated in the way it says, whenever this creature and at least two other creatures attack, this creature gets something or does something. So it basically means if this guy and two of his friends, so three creatures in total, or at least three creatures swing, then something happens. Now, this can be a benefit to power, benefit to toughness. They get get someone like Double Strike. Um, I think one of the angels basically does three damage and heals three damage or something like that. Yeah. It's basically a lightning helix, I think. Um, So yeah, again, this is an ability. And the important thing to note, it's when your creatures attack, battalion triggers. So if you turn three guys sideways and say they're all attacking, the battalion triggers will happen. Even if one of them gets killed before you actually do combat damage then the battalion thing has still triggered. Yeah, this this makes it really important to say, going into, like, when as you're moving into the phase, saying, I'm going into my declare attack step. 
so that your opponent has the opportunity to do that, to remove something before combat? Because if you go, I turn on my guy sideways and I'm attacking, like, like you go, like, yeah, if you go, yeah, if you go like, straight to attackers without sort of giving the pause, and they go, oh, in before you go to attackers, I'll do something. Yeah, you've given them the extra information. Make sure you you clearly state I'm going to the attackers. So if you want to do anything, you're doing it now. Otherwise, you missed your chance. Yeah, that's that's what I was trying to say, Greg. Yeah. <laughs> right, Sumac, our final guild has evolved, and this does fortunately actually mean something. So Evolve says, whenever a creature enters a battlefield under your control, if that creature has a greater power or toughness than this creature, put a plus one plus one counter on this creature. So you've got some guy on the battlefield, maybe he's a 1-1 with Evolve, and then you play a 2-2, then your 1-1 is going to go, no, is this 2-2 bigger than me? Yep. Okay, in which case, I'm now a 2-2 myself. (laughs) What do you think of this, Craig? Do you like it? Well, I'm going to be playing with it, so I'll definitely have a much better opinion of it next week. Um, I like it. I'm not sure how powerful it's going to be. I'm not mm. sure it's going to be too tricky to trigger. Um, yeah. Like, but I, yeah, I do like the idea of it. I think it's cool. Like, if your guys stick around for a while, then they're not going to be useless. Like, if you play your 1-1 on turn 1, then on turn 5, he's still going to be a 1-1, and on turn 9, he's still going to be a 1-1. Not with Evolve. Yeah. So it has it has a lot of potential. Yeah, I mean, this this is one of these ones that reminds me of older cards. If you can think back to Allies from Zendikar, they were kind of very similar to this in that you needed uh, the the cards with this ability to on the table and in play to get the benefit of it. That sounds really stupid, but if you play, if you go turn one, play a guy with Evolve, and your opponent goes, I kill that guy. And you go turn two, you play a guy, and your opponent goes, I kill that guy. You turn two, play a guy, and he goes, oh, I'll kill that guy too. However he goes about it, you may be trading with your guys, uh, or you may not be, you may be just zapping them. But in the later stages of the game, how your early game st- uh, goes will de- depend, will affect how you, your late game goes. You know, like, later on, you could, you're, you're either going to be sitting with a bunch of pumped up 1-1s, or you'll be playing one ones that need to be pumped up, you know. Yeah. So it's, it's, I think it'll be quite a swingy kind of mechanic. It'll either be really good or it won't. Yeah. <laughs> it's just depending just from game to game, you know. Now there's a few nuances with this. Um, uh, one of the important things to note about evolve is that when it says if a creature has greater power or toughness, you're comparing power to power and toughness to toughness. So say you've got a Three, uh, two with evolve. And then you play a three, one. Now you're not looking at the two toughness of your evolve creature and the three power of the creature coming into play and going, oh, it's bigger than me. Don't do that. You're comparing the three power to the three power and the two toughness to the one toughness. So don't get that confused. Also, if somehow, and I'm not actually sure if this is possible, you can get multiple instances of evolve on a creature, then it triggers each time separately. But I don't actually think you can do that. I don't know of any card which has that ability. I think they've just put that in the rules as a just-in-case. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I suppose in other formats it might be possible if you could... I can't think of an example, but... If you can copy the abilities of some yeah. cards. Yeah. Um, yeah. Or if another of another card has the ability to take the abilities from other cards. 
Like, there's, there's Necrotic Ooze, which has all abilities of cards in graveyards. Yeah, so if you had more than one Evolve card in the graveyard, it would have multiple Evolves, and then you check the triggers. Like, the triggers would go on the stack, and then you check the triggers that they resolve. This is another important thing. If I don't know if this, this could happen, but say you've got a little 2-2 on the battlefield, and you play a 3-3, and then in response, your opponent giant growths your 2-2 to make a 5-5. Mm. Then when your evolve triggers resolve, it's going to go, is the 5-5 five five bigger, th- smaller than the 3-3? Three three? Well, no. Then it's not going to evolve. <laughs> I don't know why your opponent would pump your creatures in your turn at any rate, but if he wanted to, he could. Yeah. Um, just to avoid the evolve. I don't know why, but you know, it's a thing. Yeah. Uh, let me briefly touch on other mechanics, although they're not guild mechanics. Um, hybrid mana costs. If you see a mana cost which sort of has two symbols, like there's a sort of diagonal slash and it's got two colours, like a little drop for blue and a skull for black, then that means you need to pay one blue or black mana for it to work. Now, this is the same as when on Extort cards where it has the sort of black-white hybrid mana symbol, that means you pay a white or a black. It's not pay both, it's not... I don't even know what another thing would be, but it's just pay one or the other. That's what it's saying. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think that's all the mechanics done. Cool. Right. Um, shall we talk about the sealed format? I don't want to go into great depths, saying we did the last episode. If you want to learn a lot more about sealed, we spoke about that extensively last episode, so go listen to episode 12. But let's briefly touch on it, because people would need to be aware for this weekend. Yeah. Basically, uh, when you turn up your sealed event, you'll be handed six boosters, and you bust them open and try and make a deck out of them. One of those boosters will be guild-specific, depending on what guild you've chosen, or what guild's left, in my case. Yeah. And uh, that's that's the essence of it. It's, um, I don't know how technical you want to get. Um, just saying, it's an, it's another limited format, so you're not bringing in any of your own cards, which would be really impressive, saying this is pre-release. Um, you're, again, making a 40-card deck, so you're probably looking for about 23 playables, 17 land. Um, your sideboard is everything else that you open that day. Depending on your store, you may need to register your initial 40 cards. That means every time you play a new person, those have to be the 40 cards in your deck when you start playing. Yeah. Um, but some places may not care. So if you kind of start off with a certain build, and then you decide over the day, oh, these cards aren't working, you swap them out, then that may be okay. Just double check. I mean, if they basically hand you a sheet saying you need to list all the cards in your deck or in your pool, then you know you have a fixed 40 cards. Or if you want to play more, which you also spoke about last episode, then you can. And But that's a fixed card you have to play the first time you play another player. So um, Yeah. Okay, Craig. I'm a brand new player. I've never been to a Magic event before. What do you recommend I bring with me to a pre-release? Um, yourself is a good idea. <laughs> okay. <laughs> just, just to make sure I'm covering this technically. Um, I, w- I mean, this is going to sound silly as well, but bring food and drink. Like, I mean, it depends on the store you're going to. If you don't know, try bringing food and drink. It's Chances are it's going to be a reasonably long day. Uh, I've no idea how many players your local area has, but let's say it's probably going to be at least, say, four hours. So bring fruit yeah. and drink. Um, if you can, bring a pen and pencil. A pen and pencil? I always say pen and pencil. I mean pen and paper. <laughs> or pen or pencil and paper is what I was trying to go for. Um, the reason for this, um, you need to write down your life total 
Um, you may say, oh, but I've got a life spinner counter, you know, I've got a D20, I can just rotate that. Well, dice do occasionally get knocked around, so it's better just to write down your life total. Also means you can write down your opponent's life total and pay attention to that, so that's a good idea to have. If you're completely brand new and you don't have, like, sleeves or a deck box, I highly recommend, if you can't beg or borrow or steal from a friend, buy when you get there. Deck boxes basically make it a lot easier for you to take the cards away from the event or even move the cards around the event as you're going from table to table. You don't just kind of want to have this random pile of cards in your hands and somebody knocks into you and all your cards go everywhere and then um, <laughs> it's hell to try to find them all again and somebody nicks maybe the best card. I'm being <laughs> pessimistic again. Um, for sleeves, it's basically a similar similar deal. Um, it's protecting your cards. It makes it easier to shuffle and... Um, if you're playing unsleeved cards and you've cast an aura on an opponent's creature and then they scoop it up as part of their deck, you may not realize until many hours later um, that you're missing a card. So it's a good idea to have sleeves because, you know, it sort of says, these are my cards and they're protected. Yeah. I mean, like, one thing with a, as a new player, you don't realize how much you're going to come to value some of these cards. You don't... I mean, you'll be looking at them going, yeah, so what, a bunch of cards... Fair enough, nice pictures on them, it's quite a fun game. Great. But next year, when you're th- when you're looking for your uh uh your your old planeswalker that you pulled on your first pre release, you look at it and it looks like a dog's been chewing it. You're gonna be like, I'm sad about that. Why Just, did I do that? What a fool. Yeah, I talk, talk yeah, I mean specifically talking about planeswalkers, I'm looking at the pre order cost for planeswalkers. Twenty pounds. Or, I don't know, what's that, 30 American dollars, I guess? I mean, just to give an idea. Like, that's a single piece of cardboard. Do you really want to be bashing around all day where you could sell it, potentially? Or at least just yeah. make sure it keeps the value. Um, the highest card I see here is 24, uh, 25 pounds. I mean, buying sleeves, buying two pound sleeves to protect it, it seems like a worthwhile investment. Yeah, like definitely. it's it, It's a bit of common sense. Common sense a new player may not realise, but common sense for everyone else. Um... I don't know if they need anything else. They got a way to track their life. They got a way to protect their cards. They got a way to keep themselves fed and watered. Yeah, I mean, you don't need a lot. And I always find with these sort of events, the less you bring, the better. I, 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 it's always a good opportunity to bring, uh, this isn't so much for new players, but to bring in your trades and things, and trade with other people. But, I just don't like having all that clutter with me when there's so many people going about and there's a potential for a lot of people you don't know cutting about, which is the reason why it's good to bring your cards to trade with people that you've not met before and they'll have, like what you'll find is from different playgroups, you'll have um, some cards will seem rarer within one playgroup than another. So like within our playgroup, I don't think we opened a single Vraska on a Friday Night Magic, um, for some reason. Did we? Were you there last week? No, we missed it because of the snow. Oh, I opened a Vraska. Ah, well, we've opened one Vraska. And, <laughs> and it's, it's in front of me somewhere. <laughs> oh, no, where's she got to? Oh, don't do this to me, Vraska. She's disappeared. I mean, I appreciate that's a mythic rare, and they're going to be rare, but it just seems that, like, some cards, like, some people will have more access to other cards. Is what I'm saying. And people from different groups are bringing their trades, and it's a good way to build up your collection by trading. But personally, I don't like bringing my stuff because there's too many dodgers cutting about. Yeah, it's also <laughs> just the last stuff you got, the last things you got to worry about. Yeah. 
I mean, just just not having stuff with you means you just don't panic less, and you're not like going, "Do I have this? Yeah. Do I have that? Yeah. Do you have?" I mean, you're just distracting yourself. Um, either you're not going to be paying attention, and you're going to make a misplay in the game, or maybe you're just going to miss hearing something, which is important. Um, some general announcement, just uh, yeah, try, bring bring as little as you can because you don't really need a lot. Like there's there's, I don't know, some people are going to bring decks to play with in between games, but you're just I don't know, you're asking for trouble, I think. Yeah. So, like, your pre-releases usually go on for a long, quite a long time, because they're quite high turnout events. I mean, we have um, probably a small group of players normally come to our our, uh, local shop on a Friday night, so we're somewhere between uh, 10, maybe, somewhere between 10, 15 people, maybe. If we're going on a good week, but for pre-releases, you generally get a higher turnout. So what you end up with is quite, quite a long day because the more people, the longer, the more rounds you play, basically. Yeah. Uh, so I mean, basically, yeah, be prepared for quite a long day, and know when your bus times are if you have to get the bus. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. I can hear you writing something, Craig. What are you? No, writing? no, I'm looking through my cars. I found my Raska. <laughs> I, I was getting panicky because I ha- hadn't put her away. I knew she was on my desk and I couldn't find her. But no, I found Raska. She's safe. I'm is good. she in a sleeve, Craig? She isn't. <laughs> Hypocrite. Uh, I know. She, she'll soon be going into one of my folders, so she'll be safe there. Yeah. Right. Um, final thing about the pre-release. Um, so what? So you you get your six boosters, including your guild booster. You're also going to get this nice foily card. It's your pre-release card, and yes, you can play with it. Yay! So as we mentioned in the pop quiz, we mentioned the five cards, you're definitely going to get one, depending on the guild. You can play those, and not just something to have for a later day. No, you can play with them in your deck. Yay! So do so, because they're good. I command it. Yeah, I mean, they're not ridiculous, you know, going to win the game is turning the, the, the battlefield kind of bombs, but they're definitely top-rate creatures. Oh yeah, I mean, I especially love the Rubble Hulk and the Foundry Champion. Yeah, yeah. Um, although they are all good. I mean, I think Fathom Mage is potentially the least impressive. And that's the guild I picked. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, but it, she can still nah, do a lot of work. Nah, uh, uh, so long as she doesn't die, every time you play a creature, pretty much, for a good few turns anyway, you're drawing cards off it. This is true. And that is not to be sniffed at. No, not at all. Yeah. Right. Um, we covered the mechanics. We've covered sealed. We've covered specifically what's happening in the pre-release. What you need. Um, let's have a brief touch on the guilds. I don't want to go too into depth because I'm sure in later episodes we'll go potentially into the same line as we did with Return to Ravnica, where we go into depth about how to draft the guilds and what they're doing and stuff like that. So don't want to go too in depth, but I just kind of want to touch on what each of the guilds are doing in case you're not really aware. Because if you haven't looked at say all the cards in the uh, card image gallery on the website, the wizard's website, then you may not know the whole set and you may just open the cards and go, I don't know what's really good, I'm not quite sure what my guild's trying to do, and just, you're gonna put cards together and, yeah, it's a deck, but it's not, like, really working as well as you want it to. So it's a good idea just to give you a brief idea about what each of the guilds are doing. I mean, I think on the face of it, Orsov, well, Orsov is a black-white guild, and it looks like, a. What, I don't know, like a defensive guild? Is that is it fair to say it's defensive, Craig? I, I feel it's defensive. I mean, a lot of the early drops, they're either quite small, 
and they're not really the sort of things which are going to swing in. Like, we're talking about one ones which don't have an ability by themselves to make themselves bigger. Or once you hit uh, three drops, there's a couple of one fours and there's like a two three. So they're generally either they're not looking very offensive or they definitely have a much bigger toughness than power. So I yeah. would say saying they do feel very defensive to me. Yeah, I mean, I think I'll be playing or sort of a lot like a, a normal uh, blue-white flyers deck. Does that make sense? Because like in a blue-white flyers deck, you're wanting to stall on the ground with chunky creatures and attack in the air. Well, I think Orzhov is the same where you're attacking with evasive creatures. You've got some flyers, but I mean, the the, the guys I'm thinking of, there's it's, it's actually a Demir card, which is slightly confusing, but there, he's a three-mana 2-2 two, two that has... An, uh, unblockable, I believe. Hold on. I can't remember what his name is. He's a, oh no, he's not unblockable. He can't be blocked except by rogues. That's what it is. So, guys like that, there's him and there's another three mana flyer. Those sort of things are what I'm going to be looking at to sort of push the damage through and just hold the ground with, with the, the many one fours that you have at your disposal. <laughs> and all the time you manage, you, you manage to, uh, get a incremental benefits from extort, you know? You're evasive. I wouldn't, like, I know what you mean by saying a blue-white flyers deck, but I don't think Orzhov really quite has the quantity of flyers to make it that sort of deck. I mean, that makes sense because it's not blue-white flyers, it's white-black. Yeah. But you're right about the evasive. There's other creatures which give you evasive. Um, there's the cycle of denizens. And yep. the black one gives creatures intimidate, and the white one helps tap creatures down. So mm. that's another way of how you're getting your guys sort of sneaking in. Yeah, yeah. The other thing about Orzov is that because of extort being there and sort of requiring additional mana, you're not always playing the best creatures. So to so you're extorting instead. There's sort of that trade off between. Do I play my four drop or do I play like a two drop and drain two or do I play three drop and drain one? So there is that trade off and your guys are generally not going to be as big. So you are because you just don't maybe have the quantity creatures that are, or the big guys aren't coming out on curve. You are that little bit behind. You are that little bit more defensive. Yeah. I mean, you're sort of, I think Orzov's quite grindy. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely got the tools to stabilize though in the face of, a pretty aggressive start from your opponent because you imagine, well, for the most part, people won't be playing one drops. They may, might be, but imagine he play, plays a one, a one one. So like, on an average turn, it goes something like, or an average game, sorry, it'll go one one, and then next turn a two two, and the next turn either something like a three one or maybe a two two with an ability, and then turn four, you're maybe looking at something with four power. Something like a 1-4 for 3 mana just says stop what you're doing. This guy's going to stop most of your guys and it's potentially got the power to kill some of your guys. And uh, I, I just love those... I just call them turtles, Craig, because uh, they're, they're like the classic 1-4 turtle for 3. Yeah, no, that's right. I mean, it's stuff like uh, uh, the Guardians of uh, Kasha? Kasha from M13, the 0-4 defenders. Oh, yeah. Like, they just come out and say stop. You're not doing anything. <laughs> it's like, oh, I, I see your 3-3. Three, three. It's not sorry, happening. Sorry, Craig. I was expecting to burst into, in the name of love. <laughs> like, yes. 
Uh, you're going to have to get me a little bit more drunk. Uh, <laughs> I, I'm going to be doing that purely staying out. One force is going to be coming down. I'll be going, stop in the name of Arzov. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I, I may have to bring a, a little uh, recorder around just so I can record that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's going to be fun. Uh, right, that's... I told you I was excited about the pre-release, Craig. I mean, I, I am excited as well, like, just to see the cars. Um, if we, I'm hoping that we can get enough uh, packs from winning that we can maybe do a draft if we're lucky, yeah. um, which would be really exciting. But yeah, I'm, I'm definitely looking forward to this. Ooh, you're confident. <laughs> well, you know, I'm. Uh, I imagine I've got judge support, so that'll help. Oh, that that will help. Ah, see, I was totally thinking ahead without realizing. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear! Right, shall we move on to the Demir? Yes, we shall. Um, so the Demir, their key ability is cipher. So the casting spells and attaching those two creatures. Now, they also have quite a lot of evasive creatures, probably a bit more than the Orzhov. Um You've previously mentioned this guy who can only be blocked by rogues. Um, I'm pretty sure they've got a couple other creatures which are unblockable, and they've got some flyers. So in some ways, they're a bit like Golgari. Golgari yeah. has scavenge cards and scavenge targets. Like, you want your hexproof rhino, because then you can't pl- mess with it. Demir's the same. You've got your cipher cards and your cipher targets, your unblockable guys which are likely to get in. And, I mean, beyond that, there's not much comparison, but that's what you're doing with Demir. Attaching yeah. cipher cards to good creatures so they can get in multiple times. Because, as we said, cipher cards are generally overcosted. Having a brief look at them, I feel the cipher cards would be costed correctly if they did twice their effect. So, effectively, if you were able to hit in once with them, once they're encoded. Yeah, another common thing with the Demir cards is they tend to care about cards going into your opponent's graveyard. So there's quite a lot of synergy between cards which um, put cards in your opponent's graveyard and count how many cards have gone in the graveyard in a turn or count creature cards in a graveyard, stuff like this. So just keep an eye out for that and keep an eye out for the synergies. Uh, especially, I think, does the Guild Mage not have... Uh, yeah, the Guild Mage's ability is whenever a card is put in an opponent's graveyard from anywhere, this turn that player loses one life. And I can't remember the specific names of the cards because I've only had a passing glance at the set. Well, not a passing glance, but I've had a, a passing glance at Demir, to be honest. The, uh, there's a few cards, or at least one card that I've seen, which when it hits your opponent, he m- mills cards in his graveyard for, uh, well, mills cards in his graveyard until he hits, uh, a a land card, it's maybe actually a cipher card. No, that, this is on, that's on Consuming Aberration. When you cast a spell, they mill until they hit a land card. I'm pretty sure there's another card which says something similar. Yeah, I think it's when it, when it does damage. It's a creature that when it does damage. Could be wrong. Anyway, there's there's quite a lot of uh, synergies with, that interact with your opponent's graveyard, so bear that in mind. Yeah, there, there's a secondary theme of mill. There's a few cards in blue and black and both, you know, uh, which care about what's in the opponent's graveyard, so... Uh, especially if you look at their guild leader, Lazav, when things hit the graveyard, he can p- pretend to be them for a bit. I mean, yeah, that's, that's a good example. So, there is a secondary theme. I'm not quite sure how effective Mill is going to be. Like, it doesn't feel there's the right quantity of cards. I almost... I think you're just going to kill them before you mill them. Yeah, I, I think the mill is a sort of means to an end. It's when... You know, if, if you're making him put cards in your li- in his graveyard and being able to activate things like the Guild Mage or other cards which 
care about cards going in graveyards, then it's going to help you on your way of victory. But I don't think you're going to win that often by just decking them. Yeah, it could happen, but I think that's going to be the exception rather than the norm. Yeah. Gruel is our next guild. They are red and they are green. Yay. They, they, they're pretty straightforward. I mean, they're the two aggressive colors. They're the, I turn my guy sideways and bash into you sort of thing. Yeah. That's, that's yeah. basically Gruel's deal. Yeah. I mean, I think, I don't know. <sighs> Does, um, playing cards with Blood Rush make you want to play a lot more creatures than normal? I feel like it does, because, I mean, some of the Blood Rush effects, effects are ridiculous. Um, the biggest one, I think, is the your target attacking creature gets plus nine, plus nine, and gains trample. That yeah. should just be winning you the game. Yeah, you'd hope so. But when you're talking about using your other guys, you know, get like plus two, plus one, or plus three, plus one at first strike, I'm not sure if I just want this one tur- t- turn effect... Or if I want to play the creature and effectively get it each turn, it's alive. Yeah. Like, I'm not sh- I'm wondering if you're not blood rushing all that often. I wonder if the blood rush is there when it's just advantageous to do it, when your guy, like, isn't blocked or something like that. Yeah. And then you're kind of safe to blood rush because there's, n- you know, you're, you're gonna get in for more damage or something. I, I'm wondering if Blood Rush isn't going to be played all that often, that you're going to just rather have the guys on the ground instead. What what I really like about it is that the mana cost of the creature and the Blood Rush cost are usually different enough that the card actually has a use at different points in your curve. It's maybe got two points in the curve where it's useful, so just as an example, I'll find one, the... Gorklan Rampager is a four mana, it's two, two colourless and a red and a green, or his Blood Rush cost is only a red and a green. So, depending on the situation at hand, he's actually a really flexible card, and it's having choices like that that, that really appeal to me with this, with, with Gruel. Yeah, I think it's a bit funny to say that, you know, red and green are really flexible. They don't, like, green really doesn't seem like a very flexible colour in my mind. Um, but this, th- these really do, um, have that ability. Especially stuff like, yeah, the Gore Clan Rampagers you mentioned, where it's a two, two mana cost ability or a four mana cost creature. Yeah. Those are quite different. There's also the sub-theme of lands matter in Gruel. Um, for example, your pre-release card, Rubble Hulk, he is the size of the lands you control. And then there are a couple of other cards which care about the number of lands you control generally to deal damage. So that is a sub-theme. Yeah, I mean, the one thing with that, though, is I don't see the way to really abuse that, because I, I could be wrong, but have you seen any... I don't think I've seen any actual cards which fetch land out of your library into play. Um, <laughs> Borborgamos. Is that the correct pronunciation? Oh, yeah. Borborgamos yeah. enraged. He will fetch you lands. Yeah, but let's face it, that's not happening every day. Uh, <laughs> no. no, that's true. <laughs> I mean, yeah, the lands matter is only on, like, uh, three cards, and then the guild mage can turn lands into creatures, so it's it's not huge theme, but it is there under the surface. Yeah. 
Just just something to be aware of. But, I mean, to be honest, you're playing lands at any rate. I don't think you're putting more or less lands into your deck just because I said that. And yeah, if you're thinking that, just don't. <laughs> and, like, unlike a normal kind of green-based creature deck, it doesn't actually have a lot of really solid ramp in general. There's a guy that untaps gates, so you need to have gates to be able to use him. He's like a Lanabar elf. No, an Arbor elf. But he can only target gates. I mean, you've got your key rune, obviously, which is kind of ramp. I don't know if there's more. I, uh, I can't think. I could be wrong. I think that's it. I think that's your choices for trying to get more mana into play. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I think you're right about the ramp. It's not really there. Mm-hmm. But so if, you, if you ramp, then you're, you're potentially getting too many powerful creatures and then too many powerful pump spells, and it would potentially just be too aggressive. Maybe, yeah, maybe. The top. Yeah. Some, something to note for um, playing this later, when we're like, I'm not going to go there, but when Dragon Maze comes out, you know, yeah. you're going to have the option. Indeed, indeed. Right, let's uh, sidle along to Boros. So, um, yeah. Boros are also a turn sideways sort of deck, but instead of maybe attacking with one guy and then pumping up up with Trample and making it really scary, they definitely need to swing with at least three. That is where Battalion triggers, that is definitely what they want to do. Yeah. I mean, I think I said last week, this is really reminiscent of Metalcraft, where there's a critical number of cards you need to have in play, but when you do get to that number, all hell breaks loose, and you're just like, ha, 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 kick me out. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I mean, if you look at uh, Boros Elite... It's a 1-1 one, one for 1, which suddenly becomes a 3-3 three, three once you hit Battalion. Yeah. That is quite a big... That's, uh, it's like a wild Nactal in a way. And yeah. those are banned in modern. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, these guys definitely get scary once Battalion starts kicking off. I, I think the key to abusing Battalion is going to be hasty creatures. So you 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 play your 1-drop, you play your 2-drop. Say, for example, you play your Boros Elite, and then you play, uh, I don't know, the, the Wojek Halberdiers. I mean, there's a, I mean, look at this. It's a 3-2 for two mana. It's at common. With the yeah. uh, battalion, his battalion ability gives him first strike. So that's probably your best two drop that you can play. And then if you follow that up with the Sky Knight Legionnaire, who's a 2-2 flyer with haste, you're potentially attacking for, let's add this up, three, five, eight. You're attacking for eight, turn three. Some of that's first strike. Some of that's flying, and the rest is a one drop. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, the rest, yeah, the rest was, the rest is one drop, but he's giving you three power. Yeah, I know. That's, that's, <laughs> a, that's a scary thing. It's like, what, yeah. what, what do you kill? What can you kill is another question, because of the first strike and the flying. It's just, it's scary stuff. Yeah, I mean, that's the god draw, but that's what you're hoping for. Indeed. Um, the, I mean, there's, there's the Sunholm Guild Mage, which creates a creature token with haste, is going to yeah. be a battalion out of nowhere sort of thing. Um, and if you yeah. can get Assemble Legion, that's an absolute bomb for what you want to do, because every turn it pumps out an additional soldier token than it did last turn. Yeah. Have, have you seen Assemble Legion? I've had a, I've had a glance at it. it, it, it it's, a, it's a cumulative upkeep of 
creatures come into play, isn't it? Yeah, so turn one, you get a creature. Turn two, you get two creatures. Turn three, you get three creatures. They're all yeah. one ones with haste. So getting Battalion on the go is just going to be child's play. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, uh... I like Legion Loyalist, Craig. Legion Loyalist. Yeah, he is cool. He's like the, he's like the Legion's, uh... It's like the Legion's mascot. <laughs> right, let's, let's read this out. One, one for one. Yeah, and, uh, was it whenever he and two other creatures attack, creatures you control gain first strike and trample, yeah. and can't be blocked by creature tokens. Oh my goodness. It's like, that is yeah. actually a one drop, one one rare that I don't mind first picking. Yeah. That yeah. sword is like twice the size of his body. Yeah, it's a little nasty looking goblin with a pristine white cloak on. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he's wonderful. Yeah. He's like the mascot. Yeah, He's definitely. Cool. Uh, right, now that we've done with the Legion, let's move on to the Conclave. No, that's not right, that's Lesnia. What's Simic's yeah. name? I don't know, Craig. Okay, who cares? <laughs> the Simic. Let's move on to the Simic. Yeah, the, the Simic is the hardest one for me to pin down. Even having a look... Even having the cars in front of me now... I mean, Evolve is their mechanic, but that doesn't... Does that define them? Like, is this all about playing Evolve creatures and hitting... Just hitting creature after creature and making them all big, scary things? Yeah, I don't know, Craig. I think you'd... It's a case of putting your creatures into play and keeping them in play until they get out of control. I think that's what this is all about. Yeah. But, you know. It's... Ah, uh, it's a bit confusing. I mean, there's... There's definitely, I don't even know what's a sub-theme, I think it may just be a theme of not not the counters doing things other than just being plus one, plus one. Like, yeah. you got your Flux Mage, which can move them about. The Manipulator can mind control by removing them. The Fathom Mage gets to draw cards. The Guild Mage also gets to draw cards, but one's adding token. One, sorry, one's adding counters, one's taking away counters. So, they're Get it. They're they're evolving to get counters and then doing stuff with them. Yeah, that's a really vague definition, but I mean, a lot a lot of it is about card advantages. Quite a lot of card draw, but you'd expect that from from blue. But a lot of it, quite a few cards seem to have it as just a kind of incidental thing, like the guild mage. Oh, I get plus one counters, and you know what? I feel like a card as well. And card advantages go be a big thing, as is just having stompy creatures from green. You know, because like you've got your evolved creatures, but you've also got access to all the other uh, stuff that green has to offer, like four five for four, in the form of rust scab. Yeah. Or you know, you've got other stompy guys at your disposal. I mean, he, uh, yeah. I mean, like I'd be quite tempted to be playing things like Slaughterhorn. I know it's got Blood Rush, but. Uh, you know, other, other other cards from outside of really obvious Simic cards, yeah. just to get the the power up. Because you, you need a balance here of cards that are able to get your 1-1s on things and other stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm just having a hard time pinning the Simic down. I mean, it, it seems like a very creature-centric deck, just because you need you're wanting evolve creatures to get big and be cheap enough that you can play them early, and then you need other creatures to pump them up. And yeah. there's a few Simic-specific cards which actually 
do weird things to creatures. Um, like, what's it called again? Biomass mutation, which makes the creatures you control XX until end of turn. Yeah. It's, yeah, I, I, I'm just having a hard time pinning this down. Yeah. I mean, I think I'd, I'd, if I was just making a, if I said, right, I'm going to make a, a deck out of green and blue cards, I'd be wanting to make a kind of tempo-based beat deck. Some sense of that you're, yeah. you're beat, beating in big stuff and you're using, like, bounce effects and other stuff like that just to keep the, the board clear. But, I mean, there's, you've only, I think you've only got the guild, the, um, the charm, which has the uh, kind of bounce ability. I mean, there are cards in blue which will help with control, unsurprisingly. Um, mm. Aether Eyes or Gridlock. Um, Hands of Binding, which, yeah, sure, it's a Demir card, but it's also one of blue. You know, so there are things to slow down your opponent while you get your big guys or make your guys yeah. big. So. Yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to call this Temple Beats, Craig. I don't know if that's accurate, but I think that's what I'm going to be trying to do with it. Well, I, I'm going to have to figure it out quickly, saying I'm playing it on, uh, let's see, today's Wednesday, so Thursday, Friday. Yeah, I've got three days to work this out. Yeah. So, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll have to have a good look <laughs> before I've got, then. I've got a feeling it will play quite like Allies, whereas, you know, where the more creatures you have in, pl- in play, the bigger impact playing any individual card will have. Because, like, if you've got one guy in play, I mean, this is really obvious, but you play somebody with Evolve, uh, You've got one evolved guy in play, sorry. If you've got, if you've got one, one evolved guy in play, then, uh, when you play that better creature, you get one point of extra power and toughness on the board. But if you've got five on the board, you're getting five extra p- points of power and toughness on the board, which is a really obvious thing to say, but it's, I think it's an important thing. Just creature density in play is going to matter. Yeah, I think you're right. I think I'm convinced enough to say that you're right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I think we're done here. Is there anything else you want to add um, before we move on? I like turtles. Okay. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, you've definitely one thing about the Simics, they do have some of the best uh, creature types. Oh yeah, give me a crocodile frog. <laughs> uh, let's have a look at some of these examples. A bird mutant, uh, lizard beast, crocodile frog, human ooze, <laughs> uh, lizard drakes, fish, fish mutants, uh, fish crabs. That just sounds like a tasty dish. Um, yeah, they have some of the best creature types. Yeah. Don't, don't forget the, uh, the frog lizard. For the token, the frog lizard token. Yeah. Ah, yeah. oh, dear. They're great. Right. Um, Name that card. Oh, name that card. You don't. You don't have to say anything anymore. Oh, we've man. got. We've got our own intro. We got. I, I like doing that though. <laughs> okay, okay. Play the intro, Craig. Play it. Name that card. The card I'm looking at is an uncommon. Hmm. That is not a lot to go on. I am going to have a punt though, because times <laughs> that works. Okay. My guess will be that it is an un- <clears throat> artifacts are quite uncommon. I'll say it's an artifact, and oh, the bracers. What's the the, the spell bracers? What are they called? Illusionists. Bracers. Illusionist bracers. Yeah. 
So it's correct. Woohoo! No, 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 no. Because <laughs> illusionist bracers are rare. Are they? Yeah. Oh. Okay, maybe I should give you a little more. Maybe. On the card are two different color of mana symbols. Right. Oh, hold on. We are doing gatecrash cards here. We'll say, yes, yes. Just yeah. just to confirm, <laughs> uh, even though you just guessed one, yes, we yeah. are doing gatecrash here. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay, so it's, pretend, it's a multicolor or hybrid or if you're being particularly sneaky... Hmm. Okay, I'm going to have a guess. Okay. Uh, my guess is the five mana Demir guy that has blue in his he has blue in his text box. What's his What's his name? I can't remember his name. That guy. I know what you're talking about, <laughs> and you're not correct. I think you're okay. thinking of horror of the dim. Yes, yeah, that's, that's who I'm thinking. Of. No, no, no. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, not. No. Um, right. Let's let's try making this a bit easier. It is yes, a creature, I... human, shaman. Ooh, creature, human, shaman. Potentially a guild mage. Um, I will go for. Or the guild mages wizards. I'll go for dusk mantle guild mage. Nope. It is a tutu. Oh man, that doesn't make it any easier. I thought it was Guild Mage before and I still think it's a Guild Mage. <laughs> and it costs a converted mana cost of two. Oh. <laughs> and now I've got to try to remember the names of all the Guild Mages. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I will go for the Sunholm Guild Mage. You are incorrect. I'm just going to go through them. I don't want no, 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 no. <laughs> Let me give you one more clue, and this may help solve the problem. On the card is a red mana symbol and a green mana symbol. Skarg Guild Mage. No. No! <laughs> you scumbag! <laughs> <laughs> I deliberately lied you on there. Yeah, I, I saw that. I saw that. Okay, okay, okay. So what we're we looking at? We're looking yeah. at an uncommon Common. creature, human shaman. It's a two-two. It's a CMC of two, and it has a red and a green mana symbol on the card. Right. <sighs> You're welcome to give up. I think I may have to, Craig. The Burning Tree emissary. Burning Tree emissary. What does he do? It's a hybrid. Green and red. Oh, you cheeky bugger. But when <laughs> Burning Tree Emissary enters the battlefield, you add red and green, that's where I got the mana symbols from, to your yeah. mana pool. Nice. Um, I, just going on briefly, really like this card, because in theory, if you go turn two and you have four of them in, in hand, you go Burning Tree Emissary, into Burning Tree Emissary, into Burning Tree Emissary, into Burning Tree Emissary, <laughs> into Scar Guild Mage. Have a go. I got ten power over creatures on the battlefield. Do you think you're being a bit optimistic there? I am being very, very <laughs> optimistic. But it's gonna happen, like, just due to the amount of games being played, it's gonna happen one day, and the guy on the other side of the table is gonna be like, that, that, what? Where's my detention sphere? Wrong set, crap. <laughs> it's gonna happen one of these days. Okay. 
Right. <clears throat> I'm sure you're going to make this exceptionally hard now. <laughs> right. The card I am looking at, Craig, has... Well, let's just go this down the fruit. We'll go for an uncommon. Okay. And it... Do you don't want to take a guess? No? At uncommon, um, I will guess the Sunholm Guildmage. That is incorrect. <laughs> I am not surprised. Right. This has a converted mana cost of two. Um, Clan Defiance. No, wait, that's a rare. Ignore me. Just keep going. <laughs> <laughs> On the card, oh, there are two mana symbols. Okay. One of which is blue. Okay. And the other is green. Okay, you're you're being very generous. Yes, I am. So you'd be here a long time otherwise. <laughs> okay, so it's a two mana cost spell, add uncommon, and it's Simicky in some way. Um, it's not just going to be the Zamek Guild Mage, is it? No. Okay. I don't think it'd be that easy. Would you like some more information? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is a creature. Hmm, okay, um, it was not the guild mage, I can't think of, um... Do you want the flavour text, did that help? Ooh, flavour text, that could be fun. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. The Simic soon discovered that the sky offered as few constraints on size as the sea. Ah, this is... Now, I don't know the name, but it's, it's not a... Fish mutant, is it? No, but I'm, I think you're on the right the right lines. It's, I think yeah, it's you know it, but you don't know it. Yeah, uh, yeah, I, I I can I can see the artwork in my head very clearly. I, I just don't know the name because it's yeah. like this big creature sort of coming out the water and flying to the sky, and it's got flying and evolve, right? It's got flying and you pay X as part of its casting cost. See, I was uh, being tricky. I was being tricky. It's a Nimbus Swimmer. Oh yeah, it's the thing which uh, it's it's got it comes into play with XX plus one plus one yeah. cards where X is the mana cost. Yeah, it's X in green and blue, but of course when I told you the mana cost, it was converted mana cost. Two, technically two. Yeah, that's why I was guessing <laughs> something with X in the title because I just thought that'd be a trick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I, uh, I yeah, I don't know the names well enough, but I had yeah, yeah. This will come in time, Craig. You get half a point for because because I knew you, you knew but you didn't know. <laughs> that seems fine. I'll I'll take my half a point. Yeah. Okay, so that's uh one and a half to one. Yeah. Well okay. done, Craig. Thank you very much. Shall we move on to another topic? I feel that this is a good time to do so. Okay. Um, Steve, you came up with the idea for this topic. You wanted to talk about the guild mages and the charms, so I thought we just. Well, you thought we should just look at them in isolation, just have a chat about them, so if yeah. you wish to begin on that. It's just that they kind of epitomise what the, each guild's about, and I just thought it'd be interesting to compare them against each other and compare them, or like look at them in context of the of the guild, I suppose. Okay. So, uh, looking first at the Zamek Guild, Zamek Guild, maybe is that how you pronounce his name? Uh, yeah, yeah Zamek. Zam- Guildmage, this is uh, the Simic Guildmage. Uh, he's got 
two abilities and they're both rel- relatively cheap. Um, the first one reads, this turn, each creature you control enters the battlefield with an additional plus one, plus one counter on it. Now this costs you one blue and one green mana to cast. And it's, you know, obviously gonna help with your evolved creatures. His second ability is a, another two mana ability for a blue and a green. Uh, which says remove a plus one plus one counter from a creature you control and draw a card, which seems like a really cheap way to gain card advantage. Uh, what are your thoughts on this one, Craig? Um, I like the first ability, putting a plus one plus one counter on things which enter the battlefield. Now, in some ways, if you're playing that, if you play an evolved creature, then it's going to be harder to evolve the creature, but at least it's already sort of one step up the ladder. And the other nice thing is you can just get plus one, plus one counters on creatures which otherwise wouldn't get them if you're just playing, like, green cards which don't have Evolve or blue creatures which don't have Evolve. It's just nice that you can sort of pump them up. They can they can sort of join in on the fun of what's to mix about. Yeah, I mean... not aligned to the guild. I, I think the, uh, the important thing to note with first ability is it says each, each creature you control enters the battlefield with an additional plus one, plus one. So that 2-2 two, two enters the battlefield as a 3-3. Three, three. And it's going to make it easier to trigger Evolve? It's going to be easier to trigger Evolve and creatures in play, but it's going to be harder for the creature you've just played to Evolve further on, assuming it's got Evolve. Yeah, but not, if, mean, you've got, not, not if you can activate this guy. Now, if I'm not mistaken, so let me just quickly check the FAQ. If you activate this ability twice, then, yeah, that's, that's correct. If you activate the ability twice, so you pay two green and two blue, then each creature will come into play with two plus one plus one counters. Oh my word! And of course, because it does say each creature you control, if you haven't just cast it the once and then play two creatures, they both get the plus one plus one counter. So there's a lot of counters to be going around with this guy. Yeah, that's that's that seems a lot better now. I, I didn't consider activating it multiple times. Yeah, but remember, that's going to cost you four mana, and then what are you playing? How much mana do you have spare? I mean, if it's a little guy, then fair enough, but if you're playing a big guy, I'd be impressed if you can activate it more than once. Yeah, it, it does allow your... Um two one and two mana creatures to sort of scale with the game. So like later in the game when you've got that mana available, your cheaper guys are gonna have more of an impact if you're able to activate this guy. Yeah. Yep. And uh sorry, just to nitpick the second ability, removing the counter is actually part of the cost, but I don't see that being much of an issue. Yeah. I mean it's not like you can stop the trigger, but whatever. Yeah. And yeah, it just seems like a really cheap way to draw cards. Yeah, I mean, even if you're having to do it over two turns, your guy's coming with counters, which you can then just pick off next turn to draw extra cards and refill your hand. It's He seems really powerful. Yeah. Um, and I'll, I'll be very happy to have at least... I mean, I imagine, I mean, I know it's not fixed, but I imagine I'll get one in my guild booster, so I'll be very happy for, to play him. Yeah. And he combos well with Fathom Mage as well. I mean, I think in a draft situation, this would, this would be a happy first pick, you know? Yeah, I could see myself first picking it. Um, yeah. Yeah, I'm not quite sure if he's going to be as powerful as, say, the Rix Maddy or the uh, Vito Gazi Guild Mages were, but he could well be on the same power level. Yeah, I think so. I think so. Yeah. Just the card draw is silly. Hmm, indeed, indeed. I mean, yeah, sure, your creatures are getting slightly smaller, but... Your guy's going to slightly spoil in exchange for a card? That seems like a good trick. Yeah. And don't forget, you can do this in response to your creature dying anyway. So you've got a, th- a, a zero, one with two plus ones. You can activate this twice just 
in response to somebody targeting it with some sort of removal spell or killing it in combat. You know? Yeah, but if it's just chump blocking at any rate, then you can just take the yeah. counters off and draw the cards. Yeah. yeah. So you don't. You're not. You're. It lessens the the downside of your guy getting smaller if you do it reactively like that. Yeah. Cool. Um, are we moving up the alphabet? So we're starting at V next. I suppose that makes sense. Okay, so this is the Vizkulpa Guild Mage, which is the Orzhov Guild Mage. So he comes in for a white and a black, and he's a 2-2, like every other Guild Mage. So for one, a white and a black, uh, target creature gains lifelink until the end of turn. And then also for one, a white and a black, whenever you gain life this turn, each opponent loses that much life. Hmm. She See- seems really powerful. Yeah, I mean, it does, but I mean, it's slightly more expensive to activate than the previous guild mates we looked at, so there's a bit more of a consideration. The, well, lifelink's definitely interesting, but the, and another the, the one's interesting too, but I don't know how well this pairs up with actually gaining the life in the first place. Like, for the second ability, you're gonna to have to play, a, play something which gains you life to inflict the damage. Yeah, and that's called extort. Uh, I don't know though, is it? I mean, because say I've got three extort creatures in play, mm-hmm. and this guy, I'm going to have to pay three extort triggers and three mana to do this. Well, you don't have to pay all the extort triggers, but I see what you mean. I mean, yeah. th- this is quite mana intense, intensive. Um, although. Yeah, extorts one of the triggers, but the other trigger is lifelink, and you know, there are creatures who by default have lifelink on them. Yeah, and there's cards which have kind of incidental life gain attached to them as well, where this could be handy. Like, there's, I can't think of any specific examples, but there are, there are quite a few that say when the center's battlefield, you gain two lives, or when you play this card, you gain two lives. And just, if you've got the mana to put into it, do a couple of damage here and there, that's fine, I think. The uh, I think lifelink could be particularly relevant just because I think you're going to be taking a lot of damage throughout the game, yeah, or you're going to be you're be using your life lives as a resource for certain cards. I I'm not sure if your life is being used as a resource. Like I've had we we've had a good look at the Orzov Guild, I think, and there the one card which sort of demands life I do not like, but. Mm. I mean, it could be a thing. I, yeah, I think maybe just due to the cost, like the fact it's three mana, then extort plus the card you're casting, that the second ability may not be as relevant as the first. Yeah. But, I mean, I think it's still pretty powerful. Yeah, it's still pretty good, but I I, I think this is a slightly lower tier of power than the Zamek Guild Mage, I think. Yeah, the Zamek Guild Mage is... It just because the abilities are cheaper and in some ways they're more substantive. I mean, how much life are you really gaining either from lifelink or how much damage are you really doing from, you know, the second ability compared to a card? Like, at what stage does the life gain or the life dealt equal a card? Yeah. I'm not sure. Yeah, because like the, the thing with the Zamet Guild means it actually affects the board. Your guys are getting bigger if you want them to. And, uh, the, the Viscopa Guild Mage doesn't affect the board. He only change facts about life totals. It's not really. It's not really the same. He, he might. It might be enough to do a considerable amount of damage, but I 
don't know how this, how good it is based on just what it's going to be, how it affects the creatures in play. You know? Yeah. It doesn't affect creatures in play. It gives them life link. True. You know? Yeah, that's right, that's right yeah. Ah, he's, he's, he's still a guild mage, and he's still good. Yeah, he's okay. Yeah. To be seen, we'll have to see. This guy has to be played to see. You know? Because yeah. you your, your spells are going to be quite cheap, because you're going to be, you're going to be trying to do that. You're going to be, you're going to be trying to have uh, cheap spells to allow you to activate as much extort as possible. So definitely, yeah, yeah. And it's something to do with your mana. So hey, hey, indeed. Um, Sunhome Guild Mage next. Yeah. So this guy's a well, he's got again his two abilities, and this time it's a three mana ability and a four mana ability. So his first one is one colorless a red and a white, and creatures you control get plus one, plus zero till end of turn. And his second ability is two colourless and a red and a white to put a one put one red and white soldier creature token with haste onto the battlefield. So you get a guy. A, yeah. a one one guy for four. But uh, I don't think the mana the, the four mana is for a one one guy here. Your four mana is getting uh, invested in activating battalion. Definitely. I mean, that, that four man ability is definitely just a battalion activator. Yeah. Um, although to be honest, even the three man ability giving you creatures plus one plus oh, it's, it's sort of like a pseudo battalion ability because it's, well, I suppose it doesn't have to be on the offense, but. Yeah. And like, similar to the other one, you can do this over and over again if you need to. Yeah, yeah, if you've got the six mana to plunge into it, your creatures get plus two, plus oh, and I actually wonder if the first ability is more useful in the defense, because one problem with Boros is they're not very defensive, because they're wanting to attack. Yeah. Um, mm. I'm wondering if this is better for defense, where, you know, they think, oh, well, you know, your Boros elite's only a 1-1 on the defense, I'll attack in, and all of a sudden he's got three power, and he's basically just doing the same job as he was doing on attack. Yeah, what I like about this, it makes your opponent's blocks a lot more awkward. They know that you've got mana open, and they've got to take this into in consideration when they block, and you might not even have to activate it to get the benefit of him choosing not to block some of your creatures. Yeah, it's going to affect, I think, both attacks and blocks on your opponent's yeah. side of the table. They're just going to have to think a bit more carefully. Yeah, so basically you're, he's going to be afraid to block your guys, and you don't even need to use it. <laughs> you can use your mana on, a, on another guy in your second main phase. To be honest, <laughs> even in a pinch in defense, you could pop four mana just to get a 1-1 one, one chump blocker. Yeah. Yeah, if yeah, all you need to do is, reasonable, is yeah. block something and it doesn't have trample, then... Yeah. Yeah, um... He seems reasonably powerful... For his guild, just because he does have a four mana activate battalion ability effectively. But if you're not, if you're sort of splashing Boros, then I don't think he's quite as good. Mm, like, possibly. I don't know, Gruul's are already big enough that giving creatures plus one plus oh is maybe just not doing that much. And then in Orzov, again, I don't know if the plus one is really doing enough. Like, I think the Sunhome Guild may just potentially really a Boros-only card, almost yeah. exclusively. Like, if you're splashing red, you may not really be worth it. I don't know. What do you think? Is that a uh, reasonable statement? Or do you think, you know, just have it randomly causing your... Well, causing your opponent to make that extra calculation is still a worthwhile thing to do. 
Yeah, I think I'd, I think I'd want to splash him. I think it really depends on what, what else you've got in the deck. I don't know if he's got that much of an impact that you just have, this is your only red or only white card in your deck. Mm. Do you know what I mean? You'd be better maybe with a, a combat trick of some sort or, because yeah. if it's a splash, you're not going to have the multiples of the red or white mana to, Activate this more than once. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I, I don't. I don't really like him as a splash very much. No. Yeah. Whereas I'd be, um, I'd be reasonably happy to play the other two as a splash. Yeah. Gaining life link or gaining counters or removing counters. I mean, those still seem pretty relevant even as a splash. Yeah. I mean, as a two mana two two, are you happy to be attacking with them turn three? Um, like putting them into the red zone and risking losing these abilities, but activating battalion with you know using him as just another guy to activate a ta- battalion with him attacking. Possibly, it depends how quickly I can replenish the ranks if he dies. Like the thing with Boris is all about keeping that critical mass of three creatures attacking. Yeah, and. Just to get one attack in where he can almost guarantee you getting the attacks in every turn he survives. I don't know. I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. It, it would depend on what my, like how my deck is constructed, I think. Yeah, it's probably entirely situational on what's happening on the board, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Right. Scar Guildmage? Uh, Scar Guildmage. Do you want to run through him? Sure. He's the gruel one. So for a red and a green, creatures you control gain trample until end of turn. And then for one, a red and a green, target land you control becomes a 4-4 elemental creature until end of turn. It's still a land. Now that first ability is, I think, really what you want to do with uh, Gruul. Because one of the problems I think there is with Blood Rush is if your guy gets blocked, then, well, the Blood Rush becomes a bit pointless because all you're doing is killing the one thing. Unless Mm. you have Trample. At which yeah. point you're suddenly your three threes become an eight four, and even if it's dying, it's still going to get through for quite a lot of damage. Yeah, yeah, and that can be worth the two cards sometimes. I do like making lands into creatures, though. I mean that yeah, that's another where lands matter just because you kind of grab a land and say yeah, you're coming into play and yeah. you're fighting for me. Yeah, I like both those abilities. This guy's awesome. Yeah, I think this guy's really good. I, I like the fact it says creatures you control. Like, when I first read it, I thought it said, Cre- a creature you control gain, or target creature you control gains. But it's not, no, no, it's not target. All your creatures get trample. Nice. Yeah. I mean, you can swing with all of them, and they're like, which ones do I block? I don't know which one he's going to pump. He can pump any of them. Ah. <laughs> uh, what, he's coming up with a land as well? This is just wrong. Ah. I mean, um, I, I don't, I've never really played with man lands. Like, I haven't been playing since... Like, I think what Zendikar was, like, the last block which had Manlands, really. Mm. I, I've never played with them. How, how much of a risk is there turning, you know, one of your lands into a creature? Like, are you worried about it dying? Or, uh, are you only doing this once you've sort of got the quantity of mana that, oh, if you lose a mountain or you lose a forest, eh, so what? Yeah, I think the, the main benefit of your normal kind of Manland, which is, like, a land which is actually a man, uh, like, a land which which turns into a guy normally as one of its own abilities, is that it has a lot of resilience against things that target creatures. You know, so it survives wrath effects and things like that. The uh, With this kind of thing, you are taking a gamble, but 
Will the tournament a four four make that's pretty safe, isn't it? Yes, seems pretty safe, but then they could just respond with a combat trick or a removal spell or uh, I don't know, but something. I mean, I, as I say, I'm I'm not really I'm not played with Manland, so I'm not quite sure how fragile they are or how good they are. Like I, I've just not got any real experience with it. I just I just like the uh, the idea in my head of like this forest coming alive and stomping its way across the board to your opponent. <laughs> it's like one of these scenes at Lord of the Rings with the with the Ents and the, just the trees are shaking. It's like ah, come on. Yeah. <laughs> I think a, a swamp coming alive would be a little less <laughs> interesting. I don't know. Maybe it would be more interesting. Okay, we're definitely. I've got through all these different images in my mind now. Thinking yeah. about the, oh, we're definitely moving away from the rules. Nasty island. Now, aren't we? And, and once an island becomes alive and goes across land, does it become a mountain? So a pretty powerful guild mate <laughs> overall. I think is what we're trying to say here. Yeah, this guy's awesome. Okay. Yeah, because <laughs> like he, he affects the board. And yeah, he's good. Yeah, yeah, it's and reasonably cheap again. His abilities. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. The last one, the Dusk Mantle Guild Mage. You want to go on about that? Dusk Mantle Guild Mage. I will need to find him, Craig. Or should I just go on? Found him. Okay. Dusk Mantle Guild Mage. What you're looking at here is your standard uh, Guild Mage layout. He's got two abilities again. And for one, a blue and a black, you have the ability to put a card. I'll read it out from the card, actually. <laughs> Whenever a card is put into an opponent's graveyard from anywhere this turn, that player loses one life. And for four mana, that's two, a blue and a black, target player puts the top two cards of his or her library into his or her graveyard. So he's got a kind of millstone for four effect, but the thing is, the most important ability for you here is going to be his first one because you've got a few cards at your disposal which are going to be putting cards directly from his library into his graveyard in quite large quantities. So if you hit him with one of these uh, mill cards till you hit a land effect, then you're potentially doing quite a lot of damage with it. Yeah, and because it says a card put from anywhere, if you're able to kill creatures, because you're in black, you got removal spells, then that is also additional damage. Yeah. Which is pretty nice. Yeah, and you've also got the ability to make them discard with some of your spells as well, so that's something to bear in mind. Yeah, and Battlefield Library, it's all good for the Dust Mantle Guild Mage. Yeah. I mean, this, this was one that I'm going to have to see how good it is to build a figure out properly how good it is but it's down there with uh, the horse of one I think in my opinion anyway this guy and the other ones are slightly better than him okay so now we touched on all the guild majors who is your favourite from your initial look and who is your least favourite oh I think the hmm I mean, before, Sunhome Guild Mage was my favourite, but then now that we've been talking about it, the Simic one's really grown on me. <laughs> I've got a similar thing where I really like the Viscopa one, but having spoken about it, I'm feeling I need to downgrade it in my estimations. Mm. Um, I mean, my favourite one is the Zamic Guild Mage. Simic, it's, it, I mean, it's just really cheap, like the abilities on it, and they're really quite powerful, and it's just yeah. hard... 
hard to move past that. It's just it's just cheap, powerful abilities. That's really what you want. Yeah, I think the most powerful one is the Zamet Guildmage, but my favourite one is going to be Scar Guildmage, simply because he makes me think of islands stomping across the countryside <laughs> and crushing armies. <laughs> oh, look, there's an island. Watch out! <laughs> oh, my goodness. Okay, so... Or mountains. What? Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? If a card grabs you like that, it's got, that's got to be my favourite. That's my favourite. Craig, okay. he's cool. What about your least favourite then? Uh, least favourite. Uh, I don't know. I, I don't like picking on one because they are they, they are all good in their own right. But it's going to be between the Dusk Mantle Guild Mage and the. Yeah, I'm going to say that the my least favourite is the Orsov one, the Viscopa Guild Mage. I yeah, think. I, I think I'm coming down on that as well. Like, I'm, d- I mean, Dusk Mantle, uh, I mean, this, the second ability, mil- basically milling two cards, I don't see that being terribly useful because I don't think mill's gonna happen most of the time. Unless you've got Blizzard in play, then it's really not worth doing it. Mm. You can definitely cause your opponent to lose life, but you can kind of say the same about the second, ability from the Viscopa Guild Mage, like cards going into the graveyard, life being gained. You can both see those happening, but how often are they happening is a bit of a question. Yeah. Um uh, actually now that I've argued that, now that I've said one of the Dust Mantle abilities is useless and the other one is situational. <laughs> Whereas with the Viscopa, one's situational, one's just lifelink. That's good whenever. I, I think I'll 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 say the Dust Mantle's my least favourite. Yeah, I mean, in the in the Dustmantle's defence, there are cards which care about what's in your opponent's graveyard as yeah. well as cards just getting there. Yeah, yeah. So that basically means we we have both agreed. Sunholm Guild Mage is the middle of the road Guild Mage. Yeah, it must be. So if you want a nice, safe guy to go out with, <laughs> or you, you want you want you know someone to hang around with, and you know he's he's kind of cool, but you know he's. He's not got a girlfriend because you know he's not. Well, he's not that cool, but you know he's not a decent enough guy to hang around. Then there's some home guild mage. That's 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 your that's your buddy you can rely on. The guy's wearing a loincloth. That's why he's not got a girlfriend. Well, I, I, I don't want to say anything <laughs> about his fashion taste. I mean, I, I'm not the most fashionable person myself, but if you've pointed it out, then yeah, I guess. Or is it just a tabard? It's maybe a tabard under his armor. Actually, I could be wrong. It's maybe not a loincloth. I'm sorry, some home guild mage for besmirching your character. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, guild mage is over. Let us move on to something else, which is quintessential guildy, which is the charms. Oh, how charming! So, unsurprisingly, five guilds, five charms. Um, hey, should I begin? Do you yeah. want to begin? Are we doing this backwards again? Yeah, I think we should. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> right. Starting with a simic charm. Uh, oh, sorry. Just, just to state. All these charms cost two mana, one for each of the guild colours. They're all instant, they're all uncommon, and they've all got three abilities. Now that that's done, Simic Charm. Um, the three abilities are target creature gets plus three, plus three until end of turn, or permanent you control gain hexproof until end of turn, or return target creature to its owner's hand. So, pump, protection, and bounce. Yay. I mean, it's doing some pretty 
sort of quintessential green and blue things. It's got a giant growth ability. It's got... I mean, the hexproof thing kind of works like a counterspell sometimes, but mm-hmm. a counterspell that only works on creatures, that, on spells which target your creatures. Yeah. And uh, it's got a bounce ability. Yeah, so, you're, yeah, it's, it's giant growth and unsummon and hexproof your guys, which is, yeah, sort of counter. Sort of counter, yeah. Yeah, I, I like this. Uh, I mean, unsummon was always quite a high pick in at least the core set. Likewise, giant growth was quite a reasonably high pick. I mean, yeah. having and them both you, on the same card is pretty good. And you get to protect, I mean, you're probably only protecting one guy. It's similar to Mism skin, isn't it? Where you, it's, it gives all your Oh, I've just read it again. Permanence you control gain hexproof. Oh. So, that's slightly more interesting. I was I was thinking creatures, you know, but no. So, yeah, there's three decent abilities here, I think. Yeah. So. Um, I mean, sure, slightly over-costed the unsummon and the giant growth, but that's just because you got the flexibility. I mean, yeah. I mean, that's what we can ex- that's what you can expect from each of the charms. Uh, Single mana costability from each of the colours, which are overcosted, but it's flexibility, which is grand. Yeah, yeah, I'm happy with that. Yeah, seems re- seems good. So is this? Um, hmm. Try to think how I don't know how to. Shall we just move on and com- and use this as a benchmark? Well, that, that, we can just compare at the end. I think. Yeah. I mean, these are going to be doing different things because they are in different colours. Like, yeah. I mean, we're moving into Orzhov, white and black, completely different things from green and blue. Hmm. So, the Ors of Charm, your three abilities are return target creature you control and all auras you control attached to it to the owner's hand, or destroy target creature and you lose life equal to its toughness, or return target creature card with converted mana cost one or less from your graveyard to the battlefield. So, I really like the Ors of Charm simply for the second ability. You get to destroy a creature right mm-hmm. that creature it's destroyed how much did it cost you two mana it'll cost you some lives as well but I think we've already established there's lots of ways to gain life in Orshov and you're not necessarily worried about that so I like the words destroy target creature and two mana for the privilege yeah it's a slightly cheaper murder with the slight downside of costing life but if you're targeting some sort of utility creature which only maybe has one or two toughness, like a guild mage, you know, yeah. then I'll have you pay two life to do that. I would, you know, I would not be shy about targeting a 5-5. Five five, as long as it wouldn't kill me. You are potentially bolder than I am, but... Well, not necessarily. The 5-5 five is probably going to hit you for five next turn if you don't kill it. Yeah, I suppose this is true. And you can extort while you cast a charm, so you can yeah. regain some of that. I like the idea of returning a creature card with mana cost one or less from the graveyard to the battlefield because there are, I think, at least two one-mana creatures with extort, and you want extort creatures, and, you know, you may have had to trade them earlier in the game just to protect yourself. Yeah. And the more extort you got, the better. Yeah. Are there any specific creatures that have entered the battlefield triggers? Don't think so, is there? Uh, Not off the top of my head. No, I can't think of any. Unless there's something in the hybrid cards. I don't believe so. No, I can't no. think of anything which... Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
I'm not sure. Pets, to be honest, uh, <laughs> I'm I'm not sure how relevant the first ability is. I mean, returning a target creature you control to its hand. Yeah, that's nice because you can protect something. All the auras attached to it. I mean, that. I mean, it's funny because auras off enchantments was a thing in Return to Ravnica, but it seems like far less of a thing when you're actually got auras off in the game. Yeah, I mean, you do have auras at your disposal, but I mean, I think the cards you're likely to have attached to your creatures are going to be cipher cards that you've stolen from the Demir player. But that <laughs> is not an aura. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. That's, I'm pointing that out as a disadvantage. Well, not a disadvantage, but it's just a, a loophole that, you know, uh, yeah. I think this, the, the Ors of Charm's all about this middle ability, and I think that's just fine, you know? Yeah. Okay. Um, we shall move on then? Yeah. Gruel Charm, so the red and the green one. Um, Creatures remote flying can't block this turn, or gain control of all permanents you own, or Gruel Charm deals 3 damage to each creature with flying. Hmm. Creatures it, without flying can't block. Hmm. I mean, I'll be honest, if you're in Gruel, the flying creatures aren't bothering you because they're big and going to kill you, they're just bothering you because they're getting in your way. Mm. And, I don't know, I would be reasonably happy just to attack and watch them fall at the sky as I kill them from blocking. Yeah. I mean, I think, if you had a card that just said, this card does three damage to each creature of flying, it would be a sideboard card. But, because it's got this other clause of creatures without flying can't block this turn, it doesn't matter if you're not playing against a flyer's deck, you've got like, you're either going to have an opponent who has a lot of flyers or a person who has not a lot of flyers. And either way, you've got something good to do with this. Oh, God, I've totally misread the first ability. I thought it was like creatures with flying camp block. It's creatures without flying camp block. I even yeah. read it out and I told him. Yeah, so, like, you've always got a choice with this. And most flyers, I mean, I can't think of a flyer under five mana, which has power uh, toughness more than three. Yeah, I th- yeah I think that third ability is probably going to kill most flyers. Yeah, easily. Yeah, some four four angels and some big rares. Yeah, they're generally there's... five or higher. I think six or yeah. higher. I think there's there's a couple of four four uncommons. There's a blue one and a black a black or white. I think it's a black. No, the black one's a three three, isn't it? There's a blue. Yeah. There's a blue four four for. Five or four, 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 six. It's a flyer. But yeah, so basically, this is killing most flyers that you're up against, and it lets you attack with all your guys if they've not got flyers. Now, this second ability, gain control of permanent you own. I'm pretty confident that's practically useless. I don't know. Well, yeah, it's very narrow. But like I say, you've got a use for this against all opponents, like the other two abilities. So when the situation comes up where this is going to be useful, you get to use it. And this well, one situation I can imagine is if your opponent has used Act of Treason, for example, or a card like it to steal one of your cards, and then he attacks in with you, and, and, and then you get to instant speed, get yourself a blocker <laughs> that he wasn't anticipating. 
That's true. Yes. Okay. And, and it's a pretty good blocker too, probably, if he's gotten the effort of stealing it. Yeah. So, although that ability is really narrow, the uh, when you do get to use it, it's going to have quite an impact. Oh, I just thought of a hole in your plan, in that if he's declared the attack, then it's tapped. So you'll gain control of your tapped attacker. Uh, yeah. Unless he's got vigilance, but... Yeah, okay. Yeah, no, I, I think you're right. I think Gruel Charm is always going to be relevant. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Cool. It's, it's just fine. Right. Um, The Demir. Yep. Demir Charm. You can counter target sorcery spell or destroy target creature with power two or less or look at the top three cards of target player's library, then put one back and the rest into that player's graveyard. I'm not convinced, Craig. You're not convinced by this. Did you read that last ability? You get to look at the top three cards of your opponent's deck, or your deck, I suppose, and either you're fixing what you're getting next turn, or you're ensuring that they're drawing a land next turn and you're bidding the two other good cards. Yeah... I suppose. It's kind of like a scry effect, almost. Yeah. Uh, um, I mean, is this, oh, well, yeah, if you think of it like that, it's... <sighs> it's pretty good. I mean, just being able to... Like, if your opponent's got no cards in hand and they're really looking to top deck something, you can go, well, let's see if you're going to top deck something in the next three turns. Well, you're not anymore. Yeah, I suppose, because I was only thinking that last ability in the context of using it on your opponent's graveyard, but using it on your own seems... You mean like library. a reason- reasonable plan. Oh yeah, sorry, library, yeah. And still, I mean, count- countering a target sorcery spell for two mana. I mean, that seems good. Uh, maybe. Destroying a target seems- creature with two or less. I mean, it's, it's a situational removal spell. You know, it's restricted, but. Yeah. I mean, the, the thing I liked the, the gruel charm was that it did mean the, the second ability was really situational. But the other two abilities it had, you play, you played those exactly when you wanted to. These ones here, you've got two very situational spells, uh, two very situational effects, sorry. And the last one, I just, uh, it's just not as exciting, I don't think, as some of the other ones. I think when I Demir Charm you and I go, oh, that's a nice Aurelia in your graveyard. Oh, that's a nice Foundry Champion in your graveyard. Draw planes next turn you're going to be crying foul and you're going to think Demir Charm is a lot better. Yeah, maybe. I mean, just just wait for that to happen because it's going to happen to you. But, I mean, the top three cards in my deck are pretty random. There's a good chance that you take the top three cards off my deck and they're all good. Or you take the top three cards off my deck and they were all land. You've stopped me drawing land for the next two turns. Or, you know, there's a load of situations where this isn't as good as it might seem. But yeah, getting to choose what your opponent draws next turn is is powerful. But, ah. Yeah, I, I, I don't, I, I'm not that. I'm just not getting excited about it, Craig. I, I think you're underestimating it, but I guess time will tell. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, final charm, the Boros charm. So, um, Boros charm deals four damage to target player, or permanent you control are indestructible this turn, or target creature gains double strike until end of turn. Two mana, yep. four damage to target player. That seems alright. 
Seems fine to me. Um, permission control are indestructible this turn. This makes attacking with a questionable battalion a lot better. Yep. Because you know they're all going to survive, and then does your opponent want to block, or do they want to feel the full wrath that is battalion triggers? And then finally, double strike. I mean, um, it depends what you're getting it on, I suppose. I mean, it's situational where it's going to be good, but it's probably going to be good most of the time. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that they're all... They're th- the the choice to be able to burn your opponent or do these other things. Yeah, this is always going to have a, a use. I mean, I, I think it's the indestructible ability that I'm going to be using most. Yeah, I think so too. But they're all useful. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds like I, you've got nothing more to say on the matter. Yeah, no, that's pretty much it. It's like, yeah, they're all good. You know, I mean, I, 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 I sound... I, mean, I think... Do you know what? It's, I, I think Demir Charm's put me in a bad mood, Craig, because normally I'd be raving about Boris Charm. <laughs> Boris Charm's much better than Demir Charm. Like, like the Demir Charm suffers in the same way as... I can't remember the card we're talking about now, but it doesn't affect the board, really. I mean, you can kill a cheap creature, but it's not got a big impact on the board. Boris Charm has a massive impact on the board, you know? I mean, you could, you could be just... Oh, yeah, you could be wiping out your... Points guys, could be doing lots of damage, or you could just burn them in the face. Yeah, I like Boris Charm. <laughs> yeah, that's where I am. I mean, it's just, um, it's always got a use. I mean, even though that use is just, oh, I'm going to do four damage to your face. It's it's just always going to have a use. A bit like Gruel Charm. Hmm. If anything, Boris Charm is slightly better than Gruel Charm because Gruel Charm affects creatures. Whereas Boros Charm, you can just do four damage to the face, so that just affects a player. You don't need creatures to actually do anything, but... Yeah. <laughs> I mean... Yeah, you need creatures for Gruul Charm to be good, but that's not going to be a problem. No, me. that's not really much of a restriction. No. No. Okay, if we've gone through them all, then yeah. your favourite. Right. Uh, my favourite... I think I'm going for the Horse of Charm. Just because I like the idea of two mana, I kill your guy... Okay, I'm taking a bit of a hit, but you know what? I don't care about that. I've got life gain spells. I've got extort triggers for the rest of the game, you know? So okay. yeah, I think, I think Ors of Charm is my favourite. I'm trying to think in guild. I think Gruel Charm does the most for Gruel. I think Gruel Charm does more for Gruel than any of the other charms does for their respective guilds. Hmm. So I think Gruel Charm is my favourite there. Okay. I think you know what my least favourite is. Tell me just in case I'm wrong. <laughs> the Simic Charm. No. Uh, <laughs> no, no. I'm lying, Craig. The, you're, you're thinking... The Demir Charm. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm... Demir Charm is my least favourite charm, Craig. Hmm. Yeah, I, I mean, uh, this may offend you. I think it's close between the Demir and the Orosov Charm. But I'm going to say Demir. <laughs> And not because I'm scared of your wrath, but um, no, I have I, no wrath, Craig. I mean, I I don't know. I mean, I mean, maybe I need to see how much life gain we're getting from extort and how much we're just losing from getting bashed. I mean, that maybe that just, that unconditional destroyed target creature is really great, but yeah, yeah. I think Demir Charm. I mean, one is requires a reaction. The other one is a very restricted removal spell, and then yeah, you could just sort of draw three great cards and. Sure, they're getting the worst of the best, but even that's still good. So, yeah, you never know. 
Or even if you sort your own cards, you could just hit three lands and, uh, yeah. Yeah, Demir Charm. I think I'm, I'm with you there. Yeah. Cool. Okay, um. Where do we go from here, Craig? I think we just move on to wrapping the show up. Oh, is it that time already? I think so. We'd be, we, so the unedited podcast would be two hours long. <laughs> We've been speaking for two hours. I mean, by the time I've edited this, I'm sure it'll be a bit shorter, but this is probably going to be our longest episode. Yeah, I mean, it's always good when a new set comes out. Um, ah, actually, there is something else to talk about. Oh no! Two hours and 45 minutes then. <laughs> Hopefully not. So, as we mentioned last show, we are working on a set review. We did yes. mention that last show, didn't we? Yeah, we did. I'm not, I'm not imagining that, am I? No, you're not. Right. Um, we have successfully done ores off, almost. Apparently I completely forgot there were hybrid cards which didn't just have black and white, uh, exclusively. So we need to finish off those. But otherwise, ores off is done, and we're doing a guild at a time, so I won't, well, I won't say what we're going on to next. Um, but we are working through the guilds. I haven't quite worked out how to release them yet. Um, I'm thinking I'll probably release it just as a Google Docs because I tried spending some time creating it as a web page and it didn't work. Mm. Um, I was hoping to post it just up on the Tumblr blog as a web page, but um, something to do with Tumblr, it it rips stuff out of HTML, which means I can't format it correctly and it just looks a bit ugly. So I think mm. I'll just release it as a Google Doc, uh, put a link on the Tumblr page at the top where it says uh, ask and archive and I'm sure there's something else I've totally forgotten but um, there'll be a link to ours off there and then I'll link the other guilds there and I'm sure I'll make posts about it as well so the set review is getting done it's taking a lot longer than I think either of us imagined would you say that's true? that is definitely true um, yeah. it's, it's just the way we're doing it like if we were just going to go through all 249 cards and just grade them like a number out of 10 or a grade from A to F or something like that. I'm sure we could do that in about two to three hours. Just going, yep, that's an A, yep, that's a C, that's a D. But that just has, there's no context to that. I mean, if I say um, Boris Elite is a C, and then I say Treasury Thrill is a C, you're looking at a one drop and a six drop. Am I really saying they're equivalent? And then what? how am I like saying they're equivalent? I mean, one... I mean, if they're both as good as each other on attacking, then I'm just playing the one drop. If they're both as good as each other on defending, I'm just playing the one drop. But, I mean, what what am I saying by C here? No idea. We're going into a lot more depth on that in our set review, I think I'm safe to say. Yeah. Um, we're doing it a guild at a time because we're telling you how to judge playing that guild and how to judge your curve. So it's it's a lot more in depth. So... Please be patient with us. I mean, I don't think we're even going to get them all done by the release. But the good thing is, as I said, they're a living set review. So over time, we're going to go back and reevaluate. And as things change, we'll change the review. So sort of no matter when you look at it, it's going to be up to date. Yeah. I have to say, I'm really enjoying the process of doing this, like going through the cards and, and reviewing the cards. It's, I think it's, a, it's something I would recommend people do on their own as well, like to, as they go through the, the, uh, the, the spoiler, is to just, just to try and rate all the cards, how you think they are, give yourself, make, make a rating system for yourself and try and rate them. And, it provokes a lot of thought, has to be said. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we've just done ours off at the moment, and I have, 
I like I know Orzov more than I know the other four guilds put together, and then some. Like I understand Orzov now, or at least I feel I do. Yeah, I mean we could be completely way off base, which is a great thing about uh, living set review. But you know, I think, I think, I think we're, uh, I think we're on on, on the mark. I think. Yeah, uh, to be honest, <laughs> even if we're off base, it's nice just to get another opinion. Like you may think something is fan dabby dozy. That, that's going to confuse all our uh, non-British listeners. But uh, you may think something is fan dabby dozy. All right, Jeanette Cranky. <laughs> Sorry, that is a culture reference non-Brits may not understand. But yeah, you may th- think something is fan dabby dozy. But then you talk to somebody else, and they'll convince you. You know what? It's not as good as you thought. Like this happened just now. We were talking about this Copa Gilbage. I came in thinking it was great. Did you come in thinking it was great? Or did you have a different opinion? The Viscopa Guild Mage, which yeah. was... Yeah, that's a, the, the Orzov one. I actually thought that was pretty good, when I, but then we started talking, we actually talked about it. So, interestingly enough, we both came yeah. in thinking it was very good, and we both came out thinking it was a bit, eh. Yeah. I mean, yeah. That, this is the thing, e- even if we are a bit off the mark, or even well off the mark, it's an opinion, and it's good just to get another opinion, just so you can go... Yeah, they could be right, or maybe no, no, they're wrong. But it's just, it's just good to converse. Yeah, yeah. That that's the message. It's good to converse. This is one thing. Some people are just not really good at. They're not good at sh- sharing ideas because they're scared for some reason of being wrong, or they're scared if somebody nabs their ideas and they benefit off of it. But it's it's just better for both people to come together and talk. Yeah. I would say. So basically. If uh, take a squint at the the first part of our set review when it goes up, it'd be really nice to get some feedback. Yep. Definitely. On what you think of it, you know? Absolutely. Right. I think we're done now. Yeah, we're done now, Craig. Gotta be uh, done now. I can't think of anything else. I'm gonna be up all night editing this as well. Ah <laughs> oh, dear. Uh hard trips, hard trips. Yeah, you say that. You don't know how late I'll be up, sir. <laughs> Yeah. Oh well. Anyways, um, thank you everyone for listening. Uh, remember, if you want to get in touch with us, you can do so via Tumblr, Facebook, Gmail, and Twitter. Oh, by the way, you should totally get on Twitter. I'm having some great Twitter conversations now with fans. Oh, cool. And just other people in the community. It's it's great. You should totally get on Twitter. Do you need to use your mobile phone to use t- Twitter? No, no. I, I, I. There's a. You can go on the website, or you can get desktop applications for it. I personally use a desktop application on my MacBook. Yeah, I don't know. I've just got, like, I've only just recently got a decent mobile phone. Um, ah, I don't know, Craig. One day, maybe. One I mean, day I'll, m- I'll move m- into this century. My phone lets me know when people t- are talking directly to me, so. Yeah. But yeah, then d- it would help if you had your phone on you all the time, admittedly. Yeah, no, I don't take my phone to work. Because <laughs> it would get trashed at, at my job. Well, that's that's <laughs> because of your job. But it's the fact you don't have it the rest of the time is the other issue. No, what you don't understand is I'm at work the rest of the time. <laughs> Most of the time it work. Fair enough. Okay, yeah. I'll let you off. Uh, anywho, anywho, right? The your- hardships. The hardships. <laughs> <laughs> uh, your host for this week, or me, Craig, and you, Steve. That's me. The intro and outro music is by Kevin McLeod. The name of the song is "The Cannery," and it is royalty-free music licensed under Creative Commons by Tributation 3.0. You can find more Kevin's work at Incomputech.com. Additional music was from the album Ghosts 1-4 through by Nine Inch Nails, which is licensed under Creative Commons Tributation Non-Commercial Share-like license. That is a word. Is that a wordful? A mouthful? <sighs> I disappoint myself. You can find out more <laughs> about Nine Inch Nails at www.nin.com.